have a meeting and then we, we go home. And then a couple of days later, the governor calls us back. And he's like, hey, I just want to let you guys know the other day when we were at Bob's house, just, just to be clear, Bob is not the guy's name. Um, when we went to Bob's house, um, was, Taliban called that meeting. They were in the room. And the good news is they liked you guys. Hi there and welcome in to a brand new week of Celebrity Salute. Dedicated to the men and women who serve our country in active duty, our veterans, and their families. We're here for you. God bless you. We love you. On each episode, we look for people and stories with some connection to these heroes. I'm Randy Miller. Pete Turner has spent several years as a counterintelligence spy for the U.S. Army, traveling to many countries including Afghanistan, Bosnia, Egypt, Germany, and Iraq. He's now using his extensive knowledge and experience in geopolitics, tactical espionage, and U.S. travel to provide compelling evidence outside the typical media landscapes, which brings us to his current project, a nonprofit organization called International Institute for Nonproliferation Studies. We are honored to have Pete Turner join us here on Celebrity Salute. This next segment is going to be a little weird, uh, kind of a little different situation for us because the guy that I'm going to interview is an international spy. I mean, he, he, he really is and was in Afghanistan, was in Iraq. So we had to take some special considerations. I could not be in the same room with him. I do not know his location. I could not be on the same Zoom call with him. So I'm going to sound like I'm kind of sequestered somewhere, and I'm going to let him tell his stories, but that's how we had to do that. If you're listening and you go, why do Randy sounds like he's in a box? Uh, I'm not in a box. I, uh, <laughs> I just, I, I'm in a, a secluded uh, situation, and we're going to refer to this man only as Pete Turner. Because that's his name. That's all we can tell you. Enjoy. He's got quite the story, Pete Turner. He spent several years as a spy, counterintelligence spy for the U.S. Army, traveling to countries including Afghanistan, Bosnia, Egypt, Germany, Iraq. And he's now using his extensive knowledge and experience in geopolitics, tactical espionage, and U.S. travel to provide compelling evidence outside the typical media landscapes, which brings us to his current project, a nonprofit organization called the International Institute for Nonproliferation Studies. And he joins us here at the National Defense. Pete, how you doing? I'm good. You know, the first thing I did when I uh, started that effort was I took that old name and I said, let's just call this thing the Ground Truth Center, the GTC. Because <laughs> There you go. It's a lot, it's a lot easier, a lot, yeah. a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, it's a legacy organization that dealt with nuclear nonproliferation. We thought, yeah, that's kind of old timey. And then it turned out with the world kind of getting crazy, all of a sudden it was sort of relevant. But, you know, where we focus is at the ground truth level, because quite often in the modern conflict space, it's just so hard to accurately nail down the foreign policy stuff that we're trying to do. You know, our, our, our priorities and our initiatives are out of whack. And it's not really anybody's fault. You're taking a stab at a big guess at an outcome. And so you're like, we'd like things to be better here. And if you don't have the people that have been shot at, that have to make the relationships that have to day, right. go day to day out and make it happen, you don't know what to do. And so, hey, here's Pete. 
he knows these people. He's done this stuff. And so that's I, where the right. center was born. I, I mean, you know, nobody has that kind of experience and nobody's uh, nobody's talking to the same people that you're talking to. That's for sure. That's right. But I want to get into some of these topics here. Uh, the Taliban actually requested a meeting with you by name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were, uh, my buddy Rich and I were having a lot of success in this, this valley. So we were in a district, which was like a county. And uh, we were having, okay. uh, it's way off of the main route. And so we were having a lot of impact in terms of getting farmers to show up and, and to pay attention to the government. Because that's, that's the goal, right? Is to make the Afghan sure. government exist and, and be relevant. And so they got the governor and they said, hey, uh, who are these guys, Pete and Rich? We want to have a meeting with them. And so call them out and uh, have them come meet us at this farmer's house. And so, you know, and this, this is like what happens. And so... The governor's like, hey, Pete and Rich, uh, and this is all normal. We go see the governor all the time. I want you to go down to, right. we'll say, Bob's house. Bob's house is just a little past the government center, you know, totally normal for us to go out and go meet someone somewhere. And so we go to Bob's house, and there's a bunch of farmers there. And so we don't think anything of it. We're just doing the standard thing and just doing what we always do and uh, have a meeting. And then we, we go home. And then a couple of days later, the governor calls us back. And he's like, hey, I just want to let you guys know. The other day, when we were at Bob's house, just, just to be clear, Bob is not the guy's name. Um, when we went to Bob's house, um, Taliban called that meeting. They were in the room. And the good news is they liked you guys. They thought you were respectful and scholarly. <laughs> and so you, you guys have the Taliban stamp, stamp of approval. And we're like, well, that makes sense. Because <laughs> we're good dudes. Man. Wow. Well, okay, okay, but now, so you're you're a spy. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you have known already that those were Taliban? You know, they're, they look, we're in Taliban country, right? Mullah Omar right. lived within a mile of all the main camps in that state that that we had all of our stuff at. So these guys, and they all know that. So these guys all look like each other and so no there's no way sure. for me to reliably know that and they certainly don't wear a patch not like if, if they're driving around right 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 yeah you might know sure that, no, no no but we don't we don't know that yeah. and and the thing is is that even though i'm a spy and i'm doing my, my stuff i never lie about that and so i don't here's the worst way randy it's not going to surprise you the worst way to find out where the bombs are is to say where are the bombs so <laughs> i never i never asked that right. question right yeah, yeah. Well, I, hey, how did you get started in your career uh, in counterintelligence? You know, I I, uh, I had no intention of joining the military, and uh, I just could not find a job out of college. It was a bad time to find jobs, one of those downturns in the economy in the early 90s. And so one day I was just pushing carts in the rain at Costco, you know, just kind of like I graduated. What am I going to do? And me and this other dude, the same spot, he had a better degree than I had. And he's like, I think I might go become a spy in the Army. And I'm like, I'd never thought about that. Huh. And so I was pushing carts and I'm like, I've got to do something. And so I went from never considering it to being in the army and then taking counterintelligence as the job in, in 30 days. And so I'm just like, I've got wow. to do something. It's wow. time to choose. And so I, I tested really well. I'm a pretty intelligent guy. And uh, my recruiter was great. He didn't lie to me at all. He's like, I've never put anybody in this job. It's got a high number. Must be good. You should do it. And so I said, all right, let's do it. <laughs> and it worked out. It it really suited my skill set, too. Well, I mean, I think you have to have a certain kind of personality to be successful as a spy, though, right? I yeah. mean, you've got to have that, uh, that that mentality. You certainly have to be um, uh, very smart. and But you've got to have that personality to kind of, uh, you know, pivot 
uh, at any time uh, during any mission, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of truth to that. In particular, in my job, there's probably 140 different disciplines within my job. Like you might be a guy who runs <laughs> lie detectors, totally different dude than me. You might be a guy that focuses on electronic um, counterintelligence. You might be a guy that loves doing surveillance. And, and I'm trained in some of this stuff. But what I am good at is building networks and meeting people and going to hard places. I'm a physical dude. I'm, I'm, I'm an athlete. And so um, when I get with infantry guys, I can hang with them. That's not common in counterintelligence. Right. Most of these yeah. guys are. I'm yeah, going to be fair. A lot of these guys are soft. Right. And, and they want to plan yeah. stuff. They want to do puzzles. I can do puzzles, but if you say, hey, we're all going to get together and we're going to get drunk and get in a big fight and punch each other in the mouth, I'm down for that. And so when I get with an infantry unit, you know, I can hang with those guys and I'm not afraid. And so that makes me good at tactical collection because when it's hard, I don't, I have a lot of my friends who would never want to go out on the patrols I go out on. Like, oh, is there going to be shooting? Oh, bad. Cool, let's go. Yeah. I have done source meetings in the middle of gunfights. That's not normal. So I was able to do <laughs> yeah. that, right? And it's not me bragging. I'm just saying that there's very specific, all of our careers sure. are very siloed. And, and, and my, like, there's nobody who's done what I've done at my level, but my peer can say the exact same thing. And so we're all very peaky in our, our skill sets and how we got there. So my, I figured out what my thing was and I was able to stay in my area long enough to become, you know, a grandmaster at tactical collection. That's incredible. Um, we're talking to Pete Turner here in the national defense, uh, several years as a counterintelligence spy for the army. And now you talked about you know building these networks, and I assume you mean uh, networks of uh, uh, the enemy, number one, yeah. and as as well as as allies. And so there's there had to be points in some of these where somebody's not happy with what Pete's doing, and uh, that, that had to be a little hairy at times, right? <laughs> this is a funny uh, a funny thing, a hundred percent true, and that place normally is with the Americans on the American camps. That is where I'm the most imperiled, honestly, until I really? learn how to, because I don't belong to a unit usually. I So I'll join a unit or they will join the area where I'm at. And if I don't navigate, and if I, until I learn how to work with the staff and until I learn how to speak commander and until I learned how to uh, make sure the Sergeant Major knew who I was and how I could help him, I would get kicked off camps all of the time. I would get denied access to patrols. They wouldn't take me out. So I had to learn how to work within the American system. Otherwise, I, I couldn't balance that side of the equation. I got kicked off camps. I got kicked out of theater all the time because I have a lot of bad news. Like when things aren't working. So I, I've got two basic jobs from two different perspectives, right? My job is to help the commander win more and lose less and then help the enemy lose more and win less, right? And so the easiest, fastest deliverable I can give is help the commander realize where he's losing. And in the modern fight, most of the time, it's not killing the enemy. It's like, hey, here's how you stop losing. You're not building governance. You're not, no one's calling the police that you're training. How do we improve that capability? How do you stop losing? And people don't like to be told that, that they suck. And a lot of what I do revolves around that because the commander's desperate to learn. Like, what do you mean we're doing all this training and no one no one sees it? No one believes right. it. And I'm like, I don't know, man. But I'm just telling you, 
no one around here is ever going to call the cops. You know, like we work on rule of well, law all the time and no one's ever in court ever. And that matters to a commander. Staff hates hmm. that. Well, and, and Pete, just to kind of underscore that, I think that's uh, a good lesson from uh, the exit from Afghanistan. All of these so-called police and, uh, and military that we trained, what happened? They're, they're done. I mean, they, you know, nobody's, nobody's sticking around to, to stand up for Afghanistan. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm going to be a little bit hard, but I'm going to be accurate here. The only army I know of that sent out a rider under the flag of truce and negotiated a uh, stacking of arms and departure from theater is us. We are the only one that did that. Taliban didn't do it. Mm. Al Qaeda didn't do it. Mm -hmm. They all stayed, right? right? We said, hey, uh, we want to negotiate peace. Uh, We are going to leave. We're going to leave all of our gear. We're just going to march out. That's the only one that did that. So think about that. You know, that's, that is, so it's really hard to win militarily in these conflicts, right? And so um, we want to win militarily, but most commanders that I encountered, even though it's the first line item in their mission statement, they weren't able to encircle. They weren't able to close with and destroy. They didn't grab any guidons from anybody. And so how do you win? Well, it's the other stuff that we talk about, and uh, it's really hard to do that. Well, yeah, you know, and changing a culture. I mean, that, that takes a few hundred years, right? Yeah, yeah. If you could even do it. It's kind of, it's kind of like the same thing that's happening in, uh, in Ukraine. Uh, you know, it's funny to me, uh, and I, I will readily admit that I don't understand any of it, but the fact that, uh, you know, you send weapons, you send uh, people into an area where you really don't know what's going on um, <laughs> and try to acclimate, that's a, I mean, that, that's a tough deal. Yeah. This is, again, this is, this goes back to the Ground Truth Center and what we try to do. You talk about creating a culture. Is it easier to work within a culture to accomplish your goal, or is it easier to create a culture somewhere else where, you, where it's foreign to you? You know, and, and we always try to create something. It's like, hey, they have rule of law, they know how to farm. They know, um, you know, what, like we would. This will sound just preposterous, but it's true. We would go to Afghan villages and teach Afghan women about having a period, as if the period didn't exist. I believe, I believe that. Yeah. yeah, like they didn't have periods before. Like they were like, oh, I don't know what to do about these menses. <laughs> like uh, I promise, right. Right. they had a system for yeah. this, you know, and huh. and yeah, right, 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 yeah. It, they weren't like, oh, too stupid to know. No, they, they dealt with it. And so mm-hmm. we couldn't comprehend that. And so we would ignore these things and come in and engage someone else's women, which is completely inappropriate in their culture. Right. Completely inappropriate. Right. And we sure. would have no right. specific training or license to do this. And so, look, I'm all about trying to figure out how to uh, lift up people and everything else. But it's very specific professional work. We don't treat it like that. And, and mm-hmm. I'm using women as an example because we're desperate to get it right, but we're not desperate to do the work. You have to be in those kind of situations. And when you said that, when you said uh, uh, we're too stupid to know, um, that has to be the scariest thing for you to get to. Uh, you're talking to somebody and they act like they don't know anything. That's when you've got to be fearful, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You would see a lot of this uh, where... 
we would come in with all of the answers, but never. It's, it's one of the, the sayings that I developed, and, and these are people that are highly educated. And I, let me just say this up front. I've made all the mistakes, too. You know, we, we've read all the books. We've got all the degrees. We have the best intentions. But then we, we can't learn a thing when we get there. And so, so the, the saying is this, like, you cannot presume to improve the condition of something you refuse to understand the condition of. Like, we would just come in and we would never go, what, what is going on here? Like, we come in, we're like, all right, we're going to fix your farming. What? what? So I asked this uh, ag team. The ag teams are terrible. So you come in, I see this major, and he's like, hey, we're going to improve the, the plot of the farmer. Okay, okay, great. What is the market chain for these farmers? Well, I don't know. Well, then why are you messing with it? He's like, well, that's my job. Like, okay. Well, so, and, and again, doesn't sound like spy work, but now I'm going to go back to the commander. I'm going to be like, the ag team has no idea what the, the market chain is. And so now the commander goes, er, hold on, stop. Why are we messing with the market chain? And then the ag boss has to go, who the hell told you we don't know the market chain? He's going to go, it's Pete. And then throw him out of here. Right. Get him out of here. And the again. commander's like, no, no, Colonel, I'm the boss. You tell me what's the market chain. Well, sir. Uh huh. Okay. All right. Pete, Pete gets a point. I want Pete back out there. With you <laughs> I, 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 can, I can see now why Pete, uh, you know, you're asked to leave a lot. That, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you're talking about, uh -huh. you know, making somebody look uh, less than intelligent there. Yeah. And, uh, that those, colonel uh, tried to kick me out of theater like, later on. And here's the thing. It's my boss. Yeah. My boss got an ass chewing. And, and um, they were like, oh, we want to leave theater. That colonel really had it out for me, right? And so my boss was like, okay, I'll put him on the next thing smoking. You show me in this report the one place where Pete is wrong. And uh, the deputy colonel, the deputy, goes, damn it. And he walked away because I wasn't wrong. <laughs> I might have been a little bit direct against an OC. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just Pete, but my boss. You're saving time. Take it. Yeah, but I wasn't but wrong. You're, you're saving, saving time. Yeah. And, and Pete, in your in all of your years in your role in counterintelligence, tell me the the most dangerous situation. I mean, I know you you can't talk about the details, but yeah, can you can you think of one that is just. Uh, you know, you know, maybe you had the cyanide bill ready. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? Okay. I will tell you one. Um, and, and it is, there's a lot of crazy ones. And, and but there's a lot that comes to mind. And it's actually in a book uh, that's really good. It's a book called Codename Johnny Walker. So there was a, an Iraqi interpreter that belonged to the SEALs. And because of my relationships um, that I happen to have with the SEALs, somehow that happened. But um, Johnny Walker became our interpreter for a while. And so we had this sort of shadow tasking. Can you help us figure out some things? And so we ended up in this car going north um, up into Kurdistan and running some checkpoint um, operations uh, among our other tasks. And at the time, checkpoints were questionable. Were they legit? Were they not legit? Were the legit ones also in their own right illegitimate? And so we got hit by this uh, checkpoint. It looked like it was probably Iraqi army. And uh, our interpreter is this, this very famous interpreter who's now an American citizen. And he's like, hey, we have to pull off here. And um, at the time, these checkpoints, people often end up with their heads cut off. So this is a very tense moment to mm. so pull off the road. And I'm in the driver. I'm in the passenger seat. Uh, our interpreter is the driver. And then behind me is my partner. And we're fully armed, but no, you know, we're, we're being stealthy. So we're in this car, uh, no body armor, any that kind of stuff. 
And so I have my weapon off a safe. This is like a submachine gun, like a, let's say like a, like an MP3 kind of weapon. And my partner's behind me, directly behind me. And I'm hoping he's not going to shoot me. (laughs) So in front of us, as you can imagine, in the front windshield is the Iraqi army people from this camp. Now the car is running. And uh, for any of you who know this, there's a thing called a dead driver drill. So I know how to operate this vehicle from the passenger seats. I'm prepared mm. to shoot rounds, and then I'm and then I'm going to drive this thing from the passenger seat to get out of there. And I hope that we don't kill the interpreter. But if he dies, then that's going to be the cost of us getting out of there alive. So um, my weapon's off safe. I've pulled the slack in off the trigger, and while. Um, our Johnny Walker, our interpreter, while he is talking, and you gotta understand when Iraqis talk, it's very emphatic. You don't know if it's going great or bad. He has a great mouthpiece. Right, right. <laughs> He's got a great mouthpiece, and so I'm trusting that it's working. Um, but we are prepared to kill everybody in front of us and hopefully get past the next part of the checkpoint. Because remember, we're off the road by about 150 yards. Um, and so we didn't know for, for a good 30 seconds if this was gonna go horrible. And again, who knows if we even survived the first engagement. And uh, it all worked out. It all worked out. Johnny's mouthpiece came through. We let off the triggers, took a deep breath. And he's like, all is good. (laughs) Let's go. We have dress. And then, that's only one. That's only one story. Oh my gosh, there's so many more. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that was was intense because I'm like, have I made the mistake of my life? I didn't know. Right. Yeah. But right. uh, but that's something. And, I, and I feel like, you know, I, just from people we've had on the, on the program, I feel like there was a lot of that over there. Just just that unknowing, you know, okay. you just don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah. On any given day. And you got to realize in my job and I'm very open about what I do. I have to trust. I have to rely on trust because I cannot get into gunfights. If I get into a gunfight, I no longer can work in that area it, it, because. Right. Because now I'm burned right. forever there, right? I've got to basically leave right. that area, probably the theater, because you know, now I'm the butcher of Kirkuk or whatever, right? Right, right. Because I can't get into that gunfight. And if I get caught, well, it's over. I mean, it's terrible, right? So my job is extremely dangerous and high, high risk. It, because you don't usually run around and get into gunfights if you're a spy. It just doesn't, it doesn't work like that in right. my, in right. my yeah. particular discipline. Yeah, spies really don't want to be noticed. Right, right. right. Now, I can be open about what I'm doing, but I have to work with trust. Once I violate that trust, once I become this violent person, everything, no one's ever going to trust me again, right? And so my trust has been broken. Right. Now, how long long did you do that for? You know, off and on, I was in with and for the military. I was in three times, sworn in, you know, and then... I did some work on the um, uh, the contract side, you know, for a number of years, but but all in, like, I would say about 18 years with about 70 months in conflict zones, you know, in various roles, but almost always with, with direct access outside the wire, which is, you know, off of the American camps. So I'm either day-to-day working either off the camp or working directly with the Americans, you know, bouncing back and forth between the, the two worlds. Or working in support of people who were going off the off the camps every day. So a lot of and were you re, were you reporting to someone? Did you did you yeah. ever have to report to someone? Always. Or yeah, always. were you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but but for most of the time, I ran my own operations, right? And so I I could because I was once I developed my own system, I didn't need to be led. I just needed to be protected. Sure. So I would work yeah, for the so. commander. And I, I had a whole thing I would say to the commander, like, oh, look, you just need to leave me alone. I need access. 
and then I need right. your protection. <laughs> and if you give me those things, um, other than you correcting me when I'm wrong, because I I'm going to tell you what I see, and you're going to have to fine tune me. Um, you know, you're just going to want more of me, and that's it, not not less. And so they, they were great about that. And I didn't need to be directed in terms of like Pete, we need you to go outside, right? Like because uh, again. You know, I'm this dude that needs to be out in the space to work, and you didn't have to tell me to go right. to work. I mean, that sounds exactly like my experience in morning radio. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be directed. Yeah. Let me do my thing. Well, honestly, if I do something wrong, I still don't want to know. Our jobs do overlap. I mean, my degree, <laughs> degree I'm wait, wait for it. My degree, undergrad, it's in TV radio. Right? So is that right? It's 100% true. And my job, in a lot of ways, is a news reporter. You put me in that Ford Pinto yeah. with my remote kit, and I'll be, hey, calling in, calling in Pete. Where are you? Oh, I'm at the site of the accident, you know, or I have my sources in the field. Hey, what's going on? It's totally the same job. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And your sources, your sources have to be there. I mean, yeah. you've got to develop those sources. Yeah. It would be just like a sports reporter at the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, you get one or two guys to tell you the, the dirt. Yeah. And you rely on those guys every time. And I cannot reveal my source, right? Right. I'll, I'll go to right. jail before I really reveal my source, right? Same thing. Same exact thing. It's 100%. Have you ever had, have you ever had that discussion about we have to know your source and you protect oh, that source. Sure. Yeah, uh, people always try to speak. maybe maybe to the nth degree. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and the thing yeah. is it's always people that don't realize. And so they'll say, Well, who's your source? And I'm like, I laugh at them. You know, or or they'll say, Wait a second, <laughs> you gave money to this person? And I'm like, Yeah, I gave them money. And like I'll say that Johnny guy, right? He came up to me one day. It's hundred percent true. He came up to you one day and he's like, uh, because it's it's kind of like the mob, right? So he came up to me when we first had got him and everything. The first thing I did is like, when was the last time you got a raise, Johnny? Is he working with the SEALs, right? Because the SEALs don't understand how to run human sources. And uh, he's an interpreter, but he also was a source. And so he's like, raise? I'm like, how much are you getting paid? He's like, I'm getting paid $300 a month. And I'm like, and you're working with the SEALs? All right, hold on. Let's go get you a raise right now. So I walk him over to the company that, that hires these guys. I'm like, hey, uh, I need to double Johnny's pay right now. And they're like, oh, yeah, here, fill this form out. And so we got him a raise. And I'm like, now you make $600 a month. And we're going to get you a raise again as soon as we can. So I just got him a raise. And he's like, holy, what, why did you do that? And I'm like, because I'm going to work the hell out of you. And what you're doing is extremely yeah. dangerous. Yeah. And I promise we can afford it. And so, um, and I'm like, do not come to camp <laughs> unless we communicate with you and I need you. Otherwise, I want you to be safe because it's extremely dangerous to come to this camp. Again, people are getting their heads cut off when they work with us. Mm -hmm. So he comes to me one day and he's like, oh, Peter, I have to uh, exact revenge. Uh, they killed my cousin. And I'm like, cool, what do you need from me? He's like, I need money to buy a gun to kill people. And I'm like, here you go. And I peeled off a couple hundred bucks, gave him what he needed. And he went out and he killed people. Because, again, this is war. This is not normal work for San Diego. This right. is normal right. work for Missouri. Right. But um, that is that world, right? And so when you look wow. at your sources and the people he has to go encounter and the things he has to do, I have to enable that because, again, I am a spy. Sure. Not someone right. who's, you know, I this is a different thing, but it is akin to being a news reporter. It's like, hey, you're a junkie. You need to survive. Do you have you eat? Right. Do you need a fix? All right. Well, this is how you live. Here's your money. Just keep the information right. coming. Right. So it is very, very similar. And so when someone's like, how are you getting all this information? That is none of your business. You give this junkie money. 
of course I gave them money. They have to eat. They have to survive. You know? <laughs> right. And so it's the same kind of thing. And they have to trust me. They've got to trust me. Yeah. Where do you want them to go for this? Do you want them to go rob somebody? Because I'd rather I just give them money. Ask, yeah. I want to ask you about this. The Please. murder of a State Department diplomat. Oh, my God. And smedging hawk is that right yeah yeah for yeah, delivering right. books to afghan kids what yeah. is that about? it's terrible it's terrible so my buddy rich and i again we had built up a lot of credit with the people of afghanistan in this region that we were in the taliban had signed up on our operations right and so remember the people in the region talk about you even though you don't realize it. This is the thing that I learned, and it seems obvious, but the, the more important you get, the more they are also going, you know, oh, yeah, Pete and Rich, Pete and Rich, or just Pete or just Rich. So one of my favorite things to hear from the Americans is when the, the intelligence people come up and go, Pete, Pete, oh, my God, they know who you are. They're targeting you. And, and I always use Pete because I want, I want to hear this message. They go, the Taliban have said they've targeted you. They want to kill Pete. And I'm like, yes. That means you, you're in the game. You're on the field. You are causing them problems, yeah. right? And so these two things can be simultaneous. I can be licensed to work, and I can be a target. It means you're on the field. So we have been asked to figure out about education in the region. And this is the Army asking us to do this. And we were doing it. We brought in Afghan elders. We brought in all these people. And we were slowly, methodically working our way through all the meetings required to understand the region and how the government wanted to run their education program. And so long story short, took a long time to do this, but the, the briefing to us was the Ministry of Education would handle education. They wanted the Americans help, but under no circumstances would we bring books to the Ministry of Education. That was this is from the elders and key point. A religious man was in the room. They're all nodding their heads. And the, and, and the elders said, you will never bring books to the Ministry of Education. He will come to you to grab these books. That is how this will work. And they're like, mm -hmm. also important, you will never, ever, ever deliver books directly to children. That is not your job. That is the Ministry of Education's job. And again, education, religion. Religion is also code for Taliban, right? right. So they gave us sure. a contract and they said, don't do this. We want your help. We want to educate. And the Ministry of Education is like, I want your help. I want to help to understand how to execute these programs. I want to understand how to measure them if they're working. Fast forward a year later, State Department brings people in from the outside and they uh, under a, ri like a known risk of like, hey, there's an operation going on. And they had put out word that they were going to deliver books to kids. They got themselves blown up. And Anne was one of the people on this mission. And she had mm -hmm. happened to meet John Kerry a couple of weeks before. So they went off the camp. They let it be known that they're going to deliver books to kids in spite of this report that everybody had. It's not Anne's fault. But the State Department was more interested in a photo op than getting something right. They wow. ignored this information. They ignored the instructions <laughs> from the Taliban, from the government, from the elders. They ignored it, and it cost people their lives. That's, mm -hmm. that's one of the wow. things that, like, when we go out and get this stuff wrong, that sits with Rich and I. We own that death. Because we well, yeah, because, I mean, you, you, set, you set this up yeah. basically <laughs> under their guidelines. Yeah. And it was working, right? It would have worked, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is um, there are very few people in the world that could have pulled that bit of information off, right? It was it sure, seasoned sure. people to do that. And then they chose to ignore it. They just didn't do it. They said, oh, those dudes are crazy. 
you know, but we had license mm. from the Taliban to go out and operate. We had right. license from the army to go out and operate. And the State Department chose to ignore it. That that's the the, the definition of folly, you know, and, and people died because of it. Right. And so right. when John Kerry gets up and he gives his eulogy of Anne, because he had met her a couple of weeks before, he talks about the arrogance mm. of telling people, you know, about things and how they're supposed to learn. And like if you read it with that context and know what the State Department had done to build this photo right. op, you can now read that that eulogy and you realize who the real bad person was. And it was the State Department because they chose to ignore the very government they're trying to empower they had undermined. Pete, man, we could, we could talk to you for hours. I mean, I, I'd love to have you back on. Just fascinating stories, fascinating career. Uh, where can people find out more about you? And, uh, and what you're doing with, uh, with, with your organization. You can always email me, uh, Pete at breakitdownshow.com. Um, if you can go to the, you go to the um, groundtruthcenter.org, that's the website, um, or you can just email me, uh, Pete A. Turner on all social media, mostly on X, but you can, uh, yeah, you know, you can do that. It's, it's, I'm pretty easy to find. Just type in Pete A. Turner and you can find some kind of funnel to me. And I'm glad to talk to people. It, it, it seems weird to me, a spy, a spy is pretty easy to find. Well, that's my job, right? Like you can't be. In the <laughs> no, I, I do. I understand that now. I understand that now. Uh, did I happen to see a website uh, with you uh, featuring you that said "Still Token" with Pete Turner? No, I don't. I, maybe I was on somebody's show or something. Yeah, I, <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a like a Cheech and John deal and. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, I'm not a. I'm not a still token kind of guy. But maybe I was on someone's show with that. I don't know. I, I think. I think maybe that that was probably it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, yeah. man, you're 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 a blast, Pete. Thank you oh, so much for taking man, the time. And seriously, and, thank uh, you for having me on your show too. Absolutely, love to have you back sometime. Anytime. Stay safe, please. You've been listening to Celebrity Salute. Celebrity Salute is produced by Brainstorm Media and distributed by National Defense Network with host Randy Miller and executive produced by Nate Heron. Be sure to visit us at nationaldefensenetwork.com. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also say, Alexa, play the National Defense Network podcast.